Welcome to Future Perspectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. I'm your host, Gabby Sanderson, and I'm here to talk with international film stars, upcoming talent, and industry game changers. Over the Future Perspectives series, you will discover secret stories and inspiring perspectives on the future of cinema culture and society. So let's begin. This is Future Perspectives. My next guest, Raphael Dernbach. Welcome to the Future Perspectives podcast. This is the official podcast of the Locarno Film Festival. You are a postdoctoral researcher for the future of cinema and audiovisual arts at USI, which is the Università della Svizzera Italiana. Yeah, that's right. Hey, hello. Thanks for having me. Yes, winning, winning. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I looked at your website and you mm -hmm. say you think and write about futures in different forms and media. Mm -hmm. I conceive and design research projects, conferences, workshops and exhibitions. And you advise organizations regarding emerging narratives mm -hmm. and future scenarios. Exactly. So you are psychic? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm a psychic, but I really um, like to think and talk with people about how they imagine the future. And I think um, in all these different projects, it's really about not so much about um, um, right, finding the right future or how it actually will be, but finding better questions to ask for how the future could be. Oh. Um, so oftentimes working with organizations, but also working with our students, it's not so much to really find that one future um, right. or that one future scenario that shows how the future is going to be, but really like a range of possibilities that give you a better picture how it could be. Mm. And then applying that to cinema and the audiovisual mm -hmm. arts and what you do at USI, mm -hmm. what do you do? <laughs> yeah, um, I think this is a rather new program. So I work with Kevin Billy, who is the professor for the future of cinema at the Università della Svizzera Italiana. And um, we just started in February with this program and we are still very much figuring out how to combine our different approaches. Kevin really brings the future of cinema, the cinema aspect as being really one of the leading uh, video essayists uh, in the world and also one of the founders of the of, of um, formats such as desktop documentary, really like mm. um, using digital uh, infrastructures and digital images um, to make cinema. And um, I'm really bringing the future aspect, the future's thinking um, to the program. So there are different theoretical frameworks and exercises we use um, to ask better questions um, to the future. This is a, a very prestigious university, I feel. I mean, I'm really, really glad that we have given this chance um, to start this really exciting program mm -hmm. um, here. It's also, it's still a young university, 
but um, the faculty is just amazing. Um, you you have with the Academia di Mendrisio one of the best architecture schools in the world, and the communications department just a range of really fascinating researchers. Yeah. I couldn't imagine a better environment for thinking about the future yeah. of cinema. Um, yeah, like that. and being in Lugano, which is not far from Locarno, I'd imagine that this um, relationship has been going and, and blossoming for mm -hmm. quite some time between the the two camps exactly yeah. but i think like the the this collaboration between the festival and the university i think it, it is really something something new and i think it's the start of something um much greater than just a few researchers uh, in a room mm -hmm. so this is also why i brought this format uh, to the locano film festival a 24-hour long um, conversation on the future of attention yes to We really bring this discussion, this discourse about the future of cinema to a much larger group because I think we need very different voices and very diverse voices mm -hmm. when talking about the future of cinema. Absolutely and I definitely want to circle back to that but I uh, want to talk more about you because this is very impressive. You have a PhD on anticipatory That's realism. Right. <laughs> Yes, anticipatory realism. Thank you. Thank you. Anticipatory <laughs> realism in post-cinema art at the University of Cambridge. I yes. mean, as a Gates Cambridge scholar. Mm -hmm. That sounds very important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it does sound important. I had a wonderful time there. It's a very exciting place to be. And again, a very exciting research community. Mm. Um, both the University of Cambridge and um, Gates, which is like a group of really international scholars coming together. I was, mm. I guess, one of the few humanities persons and everybody else was like curing cancer and, uh, uh, and, and, and discovering new planets. Uh, um, <laughs> Oh, wow. So, so I, with the anticipatory realism and the idea how the future of cinema could be, was always a little bit like, okay, like, so... Left what, of field, what, slightly. What mm. are you thinking about? But, uh, but we had some great conversations, even among the people who cure cancer and discover planets, you find a lot of cinephiles. And actually, like, particular science fiction has been in these more hard science communities, has an important role, actually, in the yeah. daily conversations. I, I really wanted to use this time uh, of the PhD to get to know different communities because I really I really think when thinking is best when it confronts itself with different voices, different ways of thinking. And mm. again, Princeton and, and, and Berlin have very interesting views on this question, how can we imagine the future? So in Princeton, for instance, there was uh, one scholar that I work with who, who has been um, studying surveillance and the way surveillance images influence our ways of imagining futures, uh, which was very fascinating. Yeah, but I, I have to say with all these prestigious schools and, and universities, before my PhD, I worked as a journalist, as a TV journalist. I know, I've got that and in my notes too. <laughs> so I was always the one asking the questions there and, yes. and really trying to, to, to pick the brains and understand what, um, what was going on at these places. And I think that's something that I still like to yeah, do. Yeah, those skills, I don't think they leave you once you have them then, and true. that curiosity. We touched on Berlin. So speaking of Berlin, you helped to open Europe's first future museum, Futurium. 
It's a wonderful place. It's um, next to the main train station in Berlin. Mm -hmm. So next time you visit in Berlin, just 200 meters from the train station, you'll find like this really strange glass structure that looks a little bit like a spaceship. Inside, once you enter, you first enter like this, this white foyer and you hear already some sounds and then uh, you go up the stairs and then you find like a huge exhibition with three zones that present different future scenarios, different technologies, but also just different ideas. Yeah, future perspectives, if you will. <laughs> yes, future perspectives, <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, I really loved the, the, the idea of the Futurum from the very first moment I encountered it, because it really is a place for everybody. So mm. it wants to explain how the future can be to in a way that everybody understands. And it poses the question, how do we want to live exactly. in the future? Exactly. Yeah. And you can't find anything there. You can find like um, uh, concrete that is made from fungi that could become a, a new way of building houses in, in the future. You'll find all kinds of different vehicles, like modular bikes, for instance, um, that could change the way how we travel or how we move in cities. Yeah. Um, it's, and it's a great place to go with kids as well. Wow, definitely on the to-do list. Uh, your passion is teaching and you've developed and given seminars on media theory, design theory and curating at the University of Cambridge, Humboldt mm -hmm. Universität Berlin, mm -hmm. uh, Kunst Berlin and the Smart City programme at Macromedia Berlin. Mm -hmm. A lot of time in Berlin then. Yes, yes, yes. That was the time of Futurium and I guess it, it, it really, to me, is really important to work with students on the questions that I'm thinking mm -hmm. anyways about because they can give you a, really a grounding and they can really inspire new thoughts in you. So the teaching for me is always like a learning from each other than yeah. like me coming with an idea or something like this. Is that what makes it experimental? Because mm -hmm. this experimental teaching format, I'm, yes. I'm sort of curious about that. Yes, oftentimes like the courses um, emerge because... Um, oh, wow because students then, like in the first two or three sessions, I really want to find out like what is on the minds and in the hearts of my students going on mm -hmm. and like how can we use the time that we have together to, to really develop something that matters to all of us. And I think it's, it, this is very different, I guess, from a, from a syllabus or a canon uh, where you come yeah. with works that have to be read and then afterwards yeah. you have to... Uh, to do an exam, I don't. I don't really like that. I, well, being a futurist, it kind of makes sense that you would be creating something new, you know, rather right. than going for the traditional approach to to teaching. So, innovation and reflection on new media are fundamental elements at the Locarno Film Festival, launching a new phase in its history. So, for the first time, Locarno hosted this experimental streaming format exploring the state of attention and its futures, which if you didn't catch live, you can go back and watch on Twitch. Who were the three hosts that you selected for this that mm -hmm. I'm sure needed a lot of energy drinks and coffee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, when I proposed the idea to them, the reactions were between, are you completely insane? Or, and <laughs> this is super interesting. I want to be part of it. Right. And um, the hosts are Devika Girish, who is a podcaster and I think makes one of the best 
film podcast at the moment in the world right now, which is the podcast of Film Comment. And I was I was very excited to get her on board for this. Mm -hmm. Then there is Keshrau Berus, who is a um, German Afghan podcaster as well, okay. um, who just recently won the Henry Nunn Prize for an amazing podcast he did on Ken Jebsen, a right-wing blogger, basically the German version of Alex Jones. And, and and he really brought like this investigative sensitivity to the 24-hour conversation. And then there is Milos Paul Rosinski, who is a film scholar and an entrepreneur mm. uh, who was very much involved also in, in, in questions of the attention economy. And he was moderating our night program and um, the streamers of consciousness, which mm -hmm. was one section at night. Um, okay, so you've got your three hosts and then 24, so it's one an hour basically, speakers to mm -hmm. talk about attention as a practice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I think, I mean, the, the basic idea of this format and to talk about the futures of attention is that I think we all have experienced and are experiencing that the way we pay attention is changing and has already changed. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about attention spans earlier. Mm -hmm. I think this is something very personal. Everybody from us, I guess, had have has had this experience where you are, I don't know, lost on Twitter, doom scrolling yeah. uh, or on Instagram, yeah. or you are binge watching a Netflix series yeah. and, and, and really observe that the way that you pay attention has changed mm. and I think to us again this project started with discussions among our students in at Lugano and there was really a lot of I guess concern and like a lot of pressure that we really need to talk about this and uh, we came up with some concepts or we discussed some concepts something like deep attention for instance yeah. versus like more shallow forms of attention yeah but also what uh, what was very important to us in this discussion was to distinguish between voluntary attention and involuntary attention. So voluntary attention would be the kind of attention that you have or can give when you open a book and you're mm -hmm. very present with it. And mm -hmm. an involuntary kind of attention is something that really catches your eye, draws you in and you don't know what is happening to you. And maybe an hour later you realize, oh my God, what stream did I like end up on the internet? Well, there's so much noise, isn't there? Like mm -hmm. we're very overstimulated in society now that in, in order to capture our attention, it's got to be something that's quite, you know, jumps out at you. Mm -hmm. I remember, I can't think of the where the stat came from, but in terms of social media, the average time spent on a page was eight seconds. Mm -hmm. So we don't have long to make a great impression do we as well at the same time and mm -hmm. grasp mm -hmm. that person's attention is it possible to approach attention in a different way i think so but i think in order to do that you really have first to acknowledge that there is a battle for attention going on in our daily lives this is nothing abstract this is something that takes place in all of our lives. Mm. And I think a quote by one uh, of the founders of Netflix really illustrates this when he says that Netflix is not competing with Amazon or with one of, with the other streaming platforms, but Netflix is really competing with sleep. And um, that is so wrong in so many ways. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's it, and, and, and this is, you know, this is like composite company policy. 
And I guess it really, I mean, if, if, if you let it sink in a little bit, it really also poses the question, um, are you individually responsible for your attention? Or is there also some kind of a collective or greater responsibility mm. uh, for the ways of attention that we are all spreading together in the world? I can't help think as well about giving your attention and mm -hmm. being present whether that's watching a movie or whether that's being in the company of someone, I think, mm -hmm. again, that's something you need to work on. And I'm, I can't help but go to mindfulness and meditation mm -hmm. a little bit Definitely. when I think of, you know, practicing that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, I would say that this rise in mindfulness and meditation is a direct reaction to this battle of attention that is going on there. And I think the idea of the 24-hour conversation is or was really to give a space to these kinds of discussions to, to see like what is the state of attention, like how are we also com complicit with it. I mean, we're all posting uh, yeah. on social media as well. We're all producing the things that are used on yeah. these platforms We're as all well. content creators now, aren't we? Exactly, exactly. Mm. And, and the question really is like what kinds of moments do we want to experience and what kind of moments do we want to create and bring to the world and this is all this is a question that i also always ask my students or our students like so what kind of moments do you do you want to to experience yourself and what kinds of moments do you want to to bring mm -hmm. um to the world and i guess yes the 24-hour conversation it, it the format itself it plays with this idea as well also with the this idea that there's always more to watch to listen to experience, yeah. to understand, and that finding a good way of dealing with the battle for attention really is also to acknowledge that you can watch everything and yeah. feel okay with that. I think it's really great that you are bringing this to the forefront of the conversation as well, because it's maybe something that we just, we don't think about day to day. Yes, the selection of guests are also very much represented um, the role that cinema can play in the attention economy. I think this is something that Locarno really is the place mm -hmm. in the world of cinema to discuss these questions mm. because cinema is changing a lot during the pandemic. With our students, we, we really tracked with media diaries like how everybody is using different platforms and is actually also using different audiovisual formats and cinema really as an everyday practice yeah. is changing a lot yeah and really has to i think find its position is it still changing and trying to find out where it's going next in your opinion i would say so i think a lot is happening right now and the festival really shows um that there's a lot of experimentation going on in the world of cinema but also um there are also very interesting um experiments in resisting the attention economy and resisting like the short attention span uh, going on. Many people say, oh yeah, cinema is dead or all oh, cinema is completely trapped in nostalgia. I don't think so. I think this is a very interesting point in time mm -hmm. for cinema um, to find a strong position within this battle that is going on. What do you see in the future for arts and cinema? What do I see in the future for arts and cinema? Mm. Do you think we're going to be surprised? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I think arts and cinema in particular 
have the capacity to create unexpected encounters. I think this for me is really something that uh, the arts and cinema in particular can, can offer that other domains of society can't. So much of our encounters, everyday encounters, are very much formatted, predicted, uh, prescribed. Yeah. But the arts, I think, when they're at their best, can really create um, almost something like improbable encounters yeah. you know, or something that goes against the alg algorithmic prediction Yeah, um, that s structures our lives more and more. Which is exciting. I, I think so. I think so. Um, I think so. Raphael Dernbach, thank you so much. There's one final thing that we do. Let's roll your closing credits. What movie have you watched most in your life and why? This is Richard Linklater's Waking Life, um, a film about lucid dreaming. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit of an inspiration of, for the 24-hour conversation as well. And it's, I think, a brilliant film to invite sleep. <laughs> if you could have the Piazza Grande to yourself and your friends, what movie would you like to watch on the big screen? So at this moment in time, I'd like to screen um, and see with my friends um, Harun Farocki's Inextinguishable Fire, a film about complicity in the infrastructures of war and um, activism. And I think it's, it's a very timely film. If I have to show a film, otherwise probably I would use the Piazza Grande for a live stream that is taking uh, biofeedback sensors from the audience to create like a living sculpture. Whoa. I'm interested to see what, how you answer this next one. You're directing a movie about your life. Mm -hmm. What would the opening and the closing scenes look like? So I think it would be uh, my first search request on <laughs> search on probably a, a very outdated I'm not sure if even sure if it would be Google probably it was like some predecessor of that and uh, my last search request <laughs> That's brilliant. If you could create a new category of award at the Locarno Film Festival what would it be and who would you give it to? Oh, that's a good question. I think it would be a new category um, for films that remind us that the world is changeable. Mm. So it would be uh, Il Pardo de un changeable world. <laughs> so the leopard of uh, of a changeable world. Yeah. And um, who would I give it to? This is biased, but I, I really loved uh, Nikolaus Geierhalter's film Matter Out of Place that was screening this year at the at the festival and I think there was never made a better film about waste than uh, this film. What are your hopes for the future of film festivals? My hope for the future of film festivals is that they encourage unexpected encounters and massage our individual and collective imagination. What can art and cinema do to improve people's lives? Hmm. I'm not sure if that's, I would understand that as the role of art. I think one of the things that art really can do in cinema particularly is it can make things addressable that we have don't have words for yet. 
And I think this is already a lot cinema can bring. What's the biggest challenge today for cinema and culture? I mean, if I would direct it at cinema, I would say, please, cinema, don't get caught up in nostalgia. We need you. Is today's art shaping society as it should? Hmm. Again, I think I wouldn't see the role of, of, of art in that way. So, so it's a pass. I That's guess. a pass. Okay. Uh, final question. As the Locarno Film Festival is all about freedom, do you feel free? Hmm. I think for me, Locarno is more about hope and more about reminding all of us that the world is changeable and that we can do something about it individually and collectively. I mean, you do need freedom for that, but you also need to understand each other for that. And I think this is much more important, I guess, than the individual freedom. Um, Fantastic. Raphael Dernbach, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, see yeah. Have a nice day. <laughs> Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to Future Spectives, the Locarno Film Festival podcast presented by UBS. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support Future Spectives with your review and subscribe on all the major podcast platforms. This series is created and produced by Brand Audio Media.